listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Hey, welcome back. I am loving this series about secrets from the greats. We've been covering mighty men of God each day. And uh, of course, we covered A.A. Allen and uh, a little bit of Dr. David Youngie Cho on Monday. And um, yesterday we talked about Dr. John G. Lake. And these have been powerful sessions learning what caused their ministries to be great, what caused them to make such an impact in the world. You just saw Dr. Oral Roberts, who was one of the mightiest men of God uh, over the last 100 years. God used him so powerfully to touch America and really to change the world. Um, You know, many people who don't know Oral Roberts or his ministry, they still know Oral Roberts University, and, um, and that was just a portion of what he did. But during the, I would say the, um, the late 1940s and the 1950s, and then, you know, some, at the 60s it began to shift into the charismatic renewal, but there was something in America called the voice of healing revival. The voice of healing revival and healing crusades Uh, sprang up all over the United States of America, and God used men like A.A. Allen that we talked about. He used men like Jack Coe. He used men like Oral Roberts and uh, Raymond Ritchie and others to see people miraculously healed and, uh, and set free. And Gordon Lindsay was a man who edited what was called the Voice of Healing um, publication. And it was initially just set up to cover one person's ministry. But then all of these healing evangelists popped up and God started working throughout America. And the Voice of Healing magazine and publication began to cover all that was going on uh, during the Voice of Healing. And so Dr. Oral Roberts was one of these mighty men. Now the the video you just saw uh, took place under his tent. Many of these revivals um, happened under the tent. Jack Coe uh, set up his tent all over America. A.A. A. Allen set up his tent all over America. Jack, uh, Dr. Oral Roberts set up his tent all over America. There were many tent evangelists that were holding crusades throughout the nation, and God was doing supernatural miracles. Now, of course, those things haven't stopped. And, um, you know, there's still tent, tent evangelism. My father... Uh, is still traveling and setting up the tent all over America. R.W. Shambach followed in the footsteps of A.A. Allen. These things are still happening. Um, But there was uh, an emphasis on divine healing in the late 1940s after World War uh, II came to an end. The soldiers came home. You know, 1946 uh, and, and on, we saw these things start to happen and then into the 50s. And God was using these men mightily. Oral Roberts had a tent that was so large, so large, it would seat uh, 20,000 people. And it was kind of a back and forth between uh, Jack Coe and Oral Roberts as to who had the largest tent in America. But uh, think about that, a 20,000 seat tent. 
and, and would pack them out, you know, pack them out. And then they'd see miracles, 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 miracles. And um, God used uh, Dr. Oral Roberts in a mighty, mighty way. And he laid hands on so many people. This is a story that people may not know. Of course, they wouldn't if, if they haven't heard my father tell it or me tell it. But um, Brother Shambach, R.W. Shambach, um, held a crusade in Dallas, Texas. And he had mighty men of God come and preach under the tent. T.L. Osborne came, Oral Roberts came. And um, my father was there as Oral Roberts was ministering. Now this was later in his life, later in his ministry, and Oral Roberts was, was ministering and he was laying hands on people that night. And the prayer line came through and he laid hands on all kinds of people that night. After the service was over, he said to my father, asked my father if he would come and help him um, in the, in the, in the, which was a, what they used for a green room behind the tent. It was just a double wide trailer. Uh, and they would use it as a green room set up behind the tent. And they went in there and uh, he said, help me get this suit coat off. And when my father took the suit coat off of Oral Roberts, he saw that his dress shirt was soaked through with blood on his shoulder. And he said, Dr. Roberts, you're bleeding on your, on your, on your shoulder. He said, I know. He said, this, I guess the stitches had opened up on his shoulder. He had just had a surgery. Think about this. He had just had a surgery because he'd worn off the rotator cuff on his shoulder from laying hands on so many people for so many years around the world. He laid hands on over a million people, probably more than that, in his ministry, in his lifetime. And he had so many crusades where he laid hands on so many people. It literally wore the rotator cuff on his shoulder down and he had just had surgery. And uh, he said, why are you doing it? He said, well, when Brother Shambach calls you, you come. And though he had just had surgery, he had such a heart for the people of God that he said, though I'm recovering from this shoulder surgery, I'm going to come and still lay hands on so many people under the tent that Brother Shambach had there for the meeting. And you see the heart of a man like that who had a compassion and a love for God's people, had a compassion and a love for God's precious people. You know, this is not what I'm necessarily talking about today, um, but I think in every one of these mighty men that we've covered and that we will cover, one of the things that's a, a common thread throughout all of these mighty men is that they had a love and a compassion for people. They had a love and a compassion for people. That is a mirror image of Jesus' heart. That's a mirror image of Jesus' heart. If you read the New Testament gospel stories, you'll find multiple times that the Bible says about Jesus, and being moved by compassion, he healed them all. Or being moved by compassion, he healed their sick. Jesus was moved by compassion. And you can see that as a common thread through all of these men. You can see it just like I taught on, on the first day. If you go back and watch A.A. A. Allen videos of him praying for the sick, you can see the compassion coming through his life, coming through his words, his prayer, his preaching. You can see it as he prays for the sick. No question about it. And then, of course, Dr. Cho. Who would pray like he prayed? Who would, who would pray like he prayed for hours a day, 
give themselves to prayer four hours, five hours before they ministered, if they didn't have a great love for people, if they didn't have a great compassion for their generation, who would pray like that? Who would pray like that? And then of course, John G. Lake, who would risk their life for others? Who would continue to minister in the midst of an uncurable plague that touched the entire world? Who would, who would give themselves to prayer like that and lay hands on hundreds of thousands of people? Who would do that? Who would go to other countries that they're not even from and spend their life ministering if they didn't have compassion? And just like you saw in that video a moment ago, Dr. Oral Roberts had a mighty compassion for people, a love for those who needed a touch from God. If you're going to, I will say this, though this is not the topic I'm covering today. If you want to be used mightily by God, you cannot be a jaded Christian. Put that in the comments. If I want to be used by God, I cannot be a jaded Christian. I cannot. If I want to be used mightily by God, I cannot be a jaded Christian. There's, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't be apathetic and be used by God. Cannot do it. You have to have compassion. You have to have love. Do you know why? That's the spirit of God. For the apostle John wrote, God is love. God is love. If I want to be used mightily by God, I cannot be a jaded Christian. I can't, I can't do that. I have to have a love for the world, a compassion for the world. I have to have a hunger and urgent desire for souls to be saved, for people to be changed by God's power. For those of you that are just logging on, please share this broadcast today. Get this word. People, listen, we're, we're running out of time. Jesus is coming. People need to hear these messages because Jesus is literally coming soon. We see all the signs of the times everywhere we look. The things Jesus prophesied are coming to pass. They're happening right now. We're on the verge and we need laborers in the harvest field. Share this broadcast today. Absolutely. Dr. Roberts was not jaded. He had a pure heart. No question about it. A compassion and a love for people. You have to have a compassion and a love for people. No question about it. And that is what pushes you to do the work God's called you to do. It's what pushes you to be the Christian that God called you to be. No question about it. Now, again, we're praying today and, and we're continuing these noon 12 o'clock prayers because we've got to press in like we've never pressed in to see a touch from God in America. We're in a very critical stage in America right now and the body of Christ, that's why I'm giving this call and leading you by example. We've got to press in now like we never have and pray and ask God to do mighty things in our nation before it's too late. We're at a critical time and the best days for the church are ahead and not behind us. And God's looking for people that will humble themselves and pray. And when we will, he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. Hallelujah. And so we're pressing in, we're praying. So today, after this broadcast is over at 12 noon, once again, we're praying for half an hour, and then you can continue for the other half an hour throughout your day anytime. But join me at noon today, and we're going to pray for 30 minutes. So today, I'm covering Dr. Oral Roberts. God gave him a revelation that became so controversial. 
not because it was new to him, but many people had not heard it before. It's all found in the scripture. It's all found in the scripture. It's just many had not heard it before. And if ministers had heard it, many of them were not preaching it. But he felt such a strong urge from that revelation that God began to speak to him that he started to preach it and preach it and preach it and live it and live it and live it. And God used him. He put it in this book and he was very well known for this. This is called, and if you come in closer, it's a small book, Miracles of Seed Faith. This message of seed faith. I want you to put it in the uh, comments today. Seed faith. Seed hyphen faith. Just like he has it on that book. Seed faith. And this book is called Miracles of Seed Faith by Dr. Oral Roberts. God's best guarantee to you to meet your needs. The miracle, miracles of seed faith. We're putting it in. This was a revelation God gave Dr. Oral Roberts. And yes, it was controversial. Yes, he was persecuted for preaching and teaching this. But he did not stop. And I want to share some of this with you today. It's going to shake your spirit up. Because it, it is, it's not anything new. It's in the scripture. It's things Jesus and the apostle taught. Things taught in the Old Testament. But people were not used to hearing it. And people couldn't, many of them could not wrap their heads around it. But for the ones who received it, there was a mighty blessing that followed. Just like any of God's word that's preached. When you receive it by faith and put it into action, it produces because God's word is performance fuel. God's word is performance fuel that brings increase. No question about it. His word doesn't fall to the ground and not produce. He said, when I send out my word, it always accomplishes what I send it to do. Never returns empty or void. It prospers in the thing whereunto I've sent it. God's word always produces what he sent it to produce. Amen. And so he had, God gave him this message, the miracles of seed faith. Seed faith, what a powerful revelation. And really, God gave him three things that he taught uh, about this message wherever he went. Three powerful things encapsulated in this message of seed faith. I'm going to share them with you today. I'm going to share them with you and give you some examples of what he was talking about. And he said, if you can understand these three things about the miracle of seed faith, it will function for you in your life. It becomes what meets your needs and takes you into the overflow. It becomes the thing that solves your problems. Glory to God. Solves your problems. And so I want you to get these and mark them in your notes. Put them in the comments. Get them in your spirit. And don't lose sight of these. Scriptural principles that will keep you in that atmosphere of seed faith that solves problems, brings you into abundance more than enough in every area. It's not just financially, in every area of your life, every area. And so the first thing that Dr. Roberts taught, he said, number one, the first, the baseline foundational thing that you've got to understand about seed faith is number one, God is your source. You have to understand that. It is so foundational to this revelation. God is my source. In fact, I'll, I'll alter that for a moment. God alone is my source. In fact, if you're writing notes, put it in. If you're putting it in the comments, put it in that way. God alone is my source. God alone is my source. 
Very, very important that you get that. Very important that you get that. You say, why? Why is it important? Because your, your faith, your loyalty can't be divided between two sources. God alone is my source. And, and that's such, if you don't catch this one, then the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it does not matter. God alone is my source. It's not corporations. It's not the government. It's not the culture. It's not relatives. It's not uh, wealthy friends. It, nothing else. God alone is my source. That's it. That's it. Now, he brings us to Philippians chapter 4. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to this church that they were the only ones to help him at the beginning of his ministry, the Apostle Paul. They were the only ones to help him at the beginning of his ministry. And he says that in the letter, in Philippians 4, verse 15. He says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So this church had a blessing coming back to them because of the actions that they took to support the gospel. But notice how Paul tells them that it's coming. If you go down to uh, verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's break that down for a moment. Paul didn't say, well, you know, others are going to come and they're what you, what you did for me, others are going to come and do for you. No, that's not what he said. Now that may be how it manifests. Like the Bible tells us in Luke chapter six, that God will cause men and women to give into your bosom. That might've been how it manifests, but that's not what Paul taught. He said, because of what you've done now, my God, the only source, the only source. Now, my God will supply all of your needs according to what? The stock market, according to what? Global banks, according to what? The culture, according to what? The government, according to what? Wealthy friends? No, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. God, the, the only source will supply all your needs, not by the government, not by it, by his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say something here. That's a good news statement because that means that God will never run out of resources to supply all your needs and bring you into abundance. Governments may run out. Governments may go bankrupt. Governments are in debt. Corporations may fail. The stock market may crash. Everything else is limited, but God, who's, the, who's our only source, is completely unlimited. He's completely unlimited. So the good news here of this first principle in seed faith, God alone is our source, he, he will provide according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So God has his own separate set of riches. He has his own economy. And get this, God is not just a provider. I said this at our church the other day. God is not just a provider. 
He's a creator. Hallelujah. Which means it's not just about what he has now. Because what he has now, the reason it can never run out is because he's always able to create something new. God did not, let me say something that many people may have never thought of. God did not lose his creative ability after the six days of creation in the book of Genesis. He didn't create the world and everything we see and then lose his creative ability. No, he's still just as much a creator today as he's ever been. So the reason that he can never run out, his economy can never be shaken, is because he is not just a provider, he's a creator, glory to God. No matter what you need, whether it's available in the natural realm or not, he creates, he creates. That's why I told you, when Peter asked Jesus, you know, Lord, the temple tax is coming due, what should we do? We've got to pay the temple tax. Jesus said, go out, catch a fish. And the first fish you catch, go into its mouth and you'll find a gold coin. Pull it out and then go and pay your taxes and pay my taxes also. Now, let me give you a few things about this story. Jesus didn't tell him which sea to fish in didn't tell him where to fish. And even if he did tell him which sea, he didn't tell him which side or which bank of the sea or to get into a boat and go into the middle of the sea. He just said, go catch a fish and the first fish you catch. That means Peter was not looking for a specific fish. If if you can get this revelation, this will build your faith to another level. This means Peter was not looking for a specific fish that had swallowed a gold coin. That's not what this was about. Jesus was telling him, it doesn't matter what fish you catch. What doesn't matter where you fish, doesn't matter what bait you use. The first fish you catch, this is creative now. This is creative. The first fish you catch will have a gold coin in its mouth. So that means Peter could have gone anywhere to any body of water and fished and whatever fish he caught anywhere, the first one, would have had a gold coin in its mouth. Why is that? Because Jesus was not telling him about a fish that already existed that had swallowed a gold coin. Jesus was saying, when you obey my word and go catch a fish, my creative word will have created a coin that's in that fish's mouth. And then you'll take it. Now watch. And then you'll take it. And what will you do with that gold coin? You'll pay your taxes. Now that was the need that Peter had. That was the need Peter had. You'll pay your taxes, but it won't just be that because God's not just into meeting your needs. Anytime something comes into your life, there's something for you and there's something for God. Oh, let me drive this home to you. This is what keeps you in abundance. This is a revelation I've lived throughout my whole life that's kept me in a place of blessing. It's kept me in a place of overflow. Anytime something comes into my life, a portion of it's for me and a portion of it's for God. A portion of it's for me and a portion of it's for God. When Peter got that gold coin that Jesus prophesied into into existence, it was what? Enough for Peter, there was something for Peter and there was something for God. 
because Jesus said, go and pay your taxes and pay mine also. Go and pay your taxes and pay mine also. Amen. That means there was something for Peter and there was something for God. Anytime something comes into your life, this is powerful. And that showed Peter, Jesus is your source. Jesus is your source. Him alone. Him alone. He didn't have to go and hit up some of the other disciples. Hey, can I get a loan to pay the temple tax? He didn't have to go and ask for, uh, you know, an extension on his tax. I, I can't, I can't get my taxes to you this month. Can I just get in a, can I get a, uh, please get an extension on my taxes. He didn't have to do that. He had a source who is Christ. Christ gave him a word. And when he went and did what Christ said, a miracle of a creative prophetic miracle took place that was more than enough for his needs because it met his needs. And it also had a portion that was available for Christ. Pay your taxes, pay mine too. Anytime something comes into your life, blows my mind. People get blessed and forget sowing seed. There's people that won't even tithe on the increase that comes into their life. They wonder why they're under a curse. They wonder why they're always struggling to make ends meet. They have nothing. They give, they return nothing to God. Some people aren't poor just because they don't sow. Do you know some people lack because they won't work? Some people lack because they're lazy. And they'd like to put themselves in the category of the poor in the Bible, but they're not in the category of the poor in the Bible. They're lazy bums and they won't work. And they'll come up with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why they can't. But the bottom line is that they'd rather depend on the government and they'd rather depend on charity than they would to use the strength God gave them and do the work the Bible commands you to do to not be in poverty and lack. Plain truth. You know, I'll tell it to you true on this broadcast or at the church. And that's why many people lack. They're lazy. God hates laziness. He hates it. Did you know God equates laziness in the Bible with wickedness? With wickedness. Read Matthew 25. Matthew 25, the master came back to his servants, congratulated the productive one that had five, turned it into 10, congratulated the one who had two and turned it into four, and rebuked the one who buried his talent in the ground and put life in cruise control and said, you wicked and lazy servant. God equates laziness with wickedness. And so there's people, it's not because they don't have a heart for God, it's that they won't do what God's asked them to do. And that's why you have to, you have to be fruitful. God's called us to be fruitful and multiply. A little folding of the hands and a little slumber, poverty pounces on you like an armed robber and takes what you have. Amen. God's people are called to be fruitful, productive people. But, we, but then here's the other side of that. Then God blesses us with a job. He blesses us with abilities. He blesses us with talents. He blesses us with ability. But our trust is not in our job. Our trust is not in our ability. Our trust is not in our talents. Our trust is not in anything else except God. So though we have all those things, we still, our focus is on God alone. He's our only source. That... That should encourage you because that means, well, they laid me off. Who cares? The job's not your source. If they laid you off, God will give you something better because he's your source. God will give you your own business. 
God will give you your own employees. Who cares? Well, I don't know. Cutbacks are coming. Not for you. In Jesus' name, God's your source. Nobody else. And he said to them, the Philippians, Paul, he said, my God, the only source, will supply all your needs according to his riches. You ought to get stirred up in your spirit today, in your spirit right now, that God is supplying everything you need plus more, not based on what the government can do for you, the corporation you work for can do for you, based on his riches in glory. Hallelujah. Supernatural riches. Supernatural riches. Glory to God. Do you know that already there's people that have been talking about our church? We've only been in existence for almost five months. There's already people that talk about our church. Oh, they're just in it for the money. They don't understand a thing. They don't understand a thing. Because if they did, they would understand that all prosperity has a purpose. All prosperity. We're not just blessed for nothing. We're blessed to be a blessing. Block that person who wants money on a cash app. You start talking about it and everybody comes out of the woodwork with a hustle and a scam. By the way, um, I'm never, I've had people messaging me on social media. I'm never going to send you a direct message and say, good afternoon, beloved, as I was praying for you today. (laughs) I don't even talk like that. So if you get these messages, be like, hey, I got a direct message from you. I got a message on Facebook Messenger and uh, you wanted me to contact you because I'm not contacting you and saying, hey, good afternoon, beloved, as I was praying for you today, the Lord, uh, just block it. It's a scam. I'm never going to send you a direct message and call you beloved. I don't speak in the King James. Yeah. Calvary greetings, beloved. I was praying for you today and the Lord gave me seven things. I don't even talk like that. So you don't ever have to check with me if it was me that was asking you for. (laughs) They don't even spell my name right. Just look at the name. Turd Shirtlesworth. It's not even me. They don't even know how to spell. They're from Pakistan. (laughs) They're from India. They don't know me. God's your source. God is your source. No, AJ, you're not going to get your Rose of Sharon. It wasn't me. (laughs) Turd Shirtlesworth. It's not. Just look at the name. (laughs) Ted Shoesworth. It's God's your source. Now watch. Why is it so important to understand that God's your source? There's a reason why it's important. Go with me to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And I want you to catch this with me. Jeremiah 17 is a warning to God's people, to those who follow God. And though this is Old Testament, the principle remains true today in the New Testament. Okay? Jeremiah 17.5 is the scripture that I want you to see today. This is a principle you can never let go. Don't ever lose sight of this. Are you ready? Listen to what the Lord says. Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let me me just give you verse 6 too. He's like a shrub in the desert. 
and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. An uninhabited salt land. You say, what's an uninhabited salt land? Do you know what, it, what would happen when uh, armies would, would destroy other nations? And they'd go in and, and they would not just destroy, destroy the army that they were fighting against. They'd go in and destroy their fields and crops and then salt the earth. So things could not grow. An uninhabited salt land. A place where things cannot even be productive and cannot even grow. That type of a person. What type of a person? The one who puts their, their trust in flesh, in men, in people. It brings a curse. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's what I was telling you at the beginning. You can't trust in God and trust in men at the same time. They're both, they can't both be your source. And men will fail you. Men will let you down. Men are inconsistent. God's perfect. That's why God spoke to Bishop David Oyedepo one time. And he said, my son David, can you make one of your eyes look up and the other one to look down at the same time? And, and Bishop Oedepo said, I tried it. I tried to make one eye look up and the other one look down. He said, no, Lord, I can't make one eye look up and the other look down at the same time. He said, in, this, in the same way that you can't make one eye look up and the other look down, don't ever tell people that you're looking unto me when you're really looking unto men because you can't look both ways at the same time. Don't tell people that you're looking unto me when you're really looking unto men. And that's what this passage is talking about. Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in the economy. Don't put your trust in the government. Don't put your trust in relatives. Don't put your trust in the culture. Don't, not, none of that. Corporations, they'll all, they can all fail you. God does not and cannot fail. He's a perfect source. This was part one that, that Brother Oral Roberts understood from God. God alone is your source. Anything else brings a curse. Anything else brings a curse. I refuse to depend on anything or anyone but God. God alone. Hallelujah. He was talking to a farmer one time. Uh, Oral Roberts was. And as he was talking to this farmer, the, the farmer had a story. He's like, man. He said, I, I, I had, he had all these fruit trees, huge orchards. And um, the farmer told him, he said, man, I really, I made a mistake because he had come by in the, in the orchards. They were not producing uh, fruit. And he said, what's done this to your orchards? He said, has, has it been some kind of a plague that came through or is it insects? Or he said, what, what did this to your orchards? And the farmer told Oral Roberts, in, sadly, he said, to tell you the truth, I did this to my orchards. He said, what? He said, yeah, I did this to my orchards. He said, the, I had a, really a misconception. He said, I looked, I looked at my fruit as the source of my blessing. I looked at my fruit as the source of my blessing. He said, the fruit fed my family. We sold the fruit. It blessed my family. And he said, I was all about the fruit. And I was focused on the fruit. He said, but I wasn't thinking properly that my focus should have been on my trees. This is what he revealed to, to Dr. Roberts. My, my attention, my focus should have been on my trees because the trees are the source. 
The fruit is just the result of the source. He said, I shouldn't have been so focused on the fruit. I should have been focused on taking care of my trees. And so he came back to find him later. And the farmer told him, I've changed everything. I've put all my focus on my source. I've put all my focus on my source. And when he put his focus on his source, which was the orchard, the trees, the fruit takes care of itself. The fruit takes care of itself. You never have to worry about the production or the fruit when your focus is on the source. That's what the farmer learned. And it struck a chord in Dr. Robert's spirit that this is a spiritual principle. There's people that are so focused on the blessing, so pe people so focused on the harm. No, put your focus on the source. Put your focus on the one who provides, the one who creates. Everything else takes care of itself. That's why Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the source. That's, that's what we're focused on. And then all these things will just be added unto you. Glory to God. All these other things. And by the way, in context, the other things Jesus was talking about were not spiritual blessings and spiritual inward things. They were material blessings. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Where shall we sleep? Where shall we live? Material blessings. Jesus said, no, don't focus on those things. That's what sinners do. Focus on the source, the kingdom of God and righteousness. And when you do, all these other things, they're added unto you. Why? You've made God your source. You've put your focus on the source. If this foundational thing is, is right, then everything else will go right. But if this foundational thing is wrong, everything else doesn't function properly. Amen. Now, number two, this is what the Lord showed Dr. Roberts. The second thing you have to have in your mind and your understanding is the law of seed time and harvest. And I want you to put this in the comments today. Everything is a seed. Everything is a seed. Please put that in the comments. Everything is a seed. You hear about, uh, you know, you hear about um, financial giving. Everybody talks about seed as financial giving. But there's more than just financial giving. There's more than just financial seed. Everything is a seed. How you treat people is a seed. How you honor is a seed. What things you say, those are seeds. The disciplines of your daily life, those are seeds. How you spend your time, that's a seed. Everything that you release from your life is a seed, everything. And everything brings back a harvest, everything does. How you treat people is a seed and it will, it will determine not only what people think of you, but how they treat you back. That's a harvest. Some people have a bad reputation and they always have conflict and turmoil with other people. That's their harvest for how they live. If you treat people like trash, if you talk to people like trash, if you live that way, then that's how your life's, that's the kind of harvest you're gonna get back. How you treat people, your honor is a seed. If you waste your days away, and that's a seed. How you spend your time is a seed. How you spend your time is a seed. If you waste your days away being unproductive, that's the kind of harvest you're gonna have. A harvest of nothing coming back. A harvest of poverty and lack. If that's how you wanna live your life. Watch now. 
If you give the focus of your life to the things that have gone wrong in your life or the attacks against your life, that is the kind of harvest you're going to have returned to you. I can't because of this. I can't because this is happening to me. I can't because the devil did this. If that's how you focus your mouth and focus your time, that's the kind of harvest you'll have coming back into your life. That's how it works. Everything is a seed. There will always be a hundred reasons why you can't do something or why it's not the right time to do something, but you have to negate all that and do it anyway because you're using your time, your effort, your talent, your wisdom as a seed. And when you do plant that, it brings back a harvest. Every seed returns a harvest. And let me tell you something, it's a law. It's a supernatural law, seed time and harvest. Recognize this, it's not just the law of seed time. I want you to get that. It's not just called the law of sowing. It's sowing and reaping. It's seed time and harvest. Both should be expected. I'm expecting to sow. I'm expecting to harvest. I'm expecting to release seeds. I'm expecting to have a harvest come back from those seeds. Don't cut God's covenant in half. Please put that in the comments today. Don't cut God's covenant in half. People expect to only be sowing, sowing, sowing. Oh, brother, how many know we don't give to get? You've cut God's covenant in half. How many know we don't give to get? Go. It's funny. This is the only context that people can say this and not look like an absolute moron. Go, to, go tell a farmer. Go tell a farmer. How many know we don't put seeds into the field to see a harvest come back? We just love putting those seeds in the field. They'll look at you like you're a moron. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't get out here and, and till up these fields and dig these trenches all the way down my acres and acres of fields and drop seed into those things and cover it up and then water it. I don't do all that for nothing. I just love putting seeds in the ground. That's not why farmers do it. They're expecting a harvest. That's as stupid as saying, hey, we don't go to our jobs and work our, our eight hours a day. We don't expect anything back. Don't give me a paycheck, brother. I just love to sow my time. They'd look at you like you were a moron. There's nobody in the world. Well, brother, don't, you don't have to. You know, no one's going to call the finance department of their office. No one's calling HR. Like, don't worry about giving me a paycheck, brother. I just love coming into work for 40 hours a week and sowing my time, talent, and energy. I just love this corporation so much. Don't give, don't give me a paycheck, brother. Don't pay into my 401k. What are you talking about? They'll look at you like you're a moron because you've sown your time, talent, and energy. What are you expecting? A paycheck. A paycheck. I'm working with the expectation of a paycheck. And I can guarantee you this. If you kept on working and weren't receiving your paychecks, you'd stop your working until they got it straight. Put your hand up in the comments if that is how you'd react. If they stopped giving you a paycheck, that you'd stop working there until they got it straight. Put your hand up. I had a hand go up in the back. <laughs> should, should go up. It should go up. I don't expect people to come in here and give their life to this ministry and not be paid for their hard work.
Yeah. Hands are going up everywhere. Why? Because that's a foolish, foolish thing. Don't worry about paying me. I just love to sow my time, talent, and energy. What a dumb idea. That's one thing to volunteer when you choose to volunteer, but you've chosen to volunteer. You've chosen. If there's ever a situation where you do work for free and volunteer your time, it's because you chose to give your time that way. You don't go in with an expectation in this uh, uh, contractual agreement to, to work for nothing. You go expecting to receive a harvest. Harvest uh, Farmers plant expecting to receive a harvest. That's how it works. Church is the only place where people get stupid and say, how many know we don't give to get? Don't cut God's covenant in half. Don't cut God's covenant in half. It's not the law of seed time. It's not the law of sowing. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It's the law of seed time and harvest. The Bible says in Genesis 8:22, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. But it's not all it says. That's why I want you to go there with me. Genesis 8:22. Listen to this. this. The reason I say it's a law, it's because who is going to cut God's word out and make it not produce? No one. So listen to this. God promised this to Noah after the flood. Listen, Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. They won't come to an end. It's impossible for day and night to come to an end. It's impossible for the seasons, summer and winter, to come to an end. Can't happen. Cold and heat. It's impossible. And seed time and harvest is one of those things that will not come to an end, ever. What you sow, and that's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That will he also reap. And the moment Paul said that, it was an understanding. Everything you sow, whatsoever a man sows, doesn't matter what you sow, finances, time, talent, energy, words, friendship, doesn't matter what you sow, you'll reap it. Because God's system of seed time and harvest will not be mocked. That's what the Bible's teaching there. Think about it. This is a law. In John chapter 6, you know the story. A little boy came to Jesus. There were 5,000 men, plus women and children in the crowd, in the wilderness that Jesus was teaching. And they were hungry. And Jesus said, what do we have to give them to eat? Philip said, Lord, if we worked for months, we'd not have enough to feed all these people. What do we have among us? Well, here's a little boy who has a lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish. He wants to give it to you, Jesus. Now watch, I want you to see this very carefully with me. This boy's lunch became seed faith. Please understand, this boy's lunch became seed faith. If you'll catch this, it will help you forever. His lunch could have just come to an end. All that little boy had to do was eat his own lunch and it would have come to an end. 
that small amount of five loaves and two fish would have come to an end. However, he turned it into seed faith and sowed it to Jesus. What was the result of that? He gave it. You've got to give. It's a law. He gave it. Jesus multiplied it. And he still ate. Watch this. He still ate until he was full with everybody else. And there was much more left over. Look what happened when the boy turned his lunch into seed faith. He could have just eaten it and been satisfied. But even though he sowed it, he still ate and was satisfied until he was full. And so did everyone else. But by the time they were done, the disciples went out and gathered 12 baskets full of bread and fish that were left over. You know what that's called? Overflow. Overflow. His lunch could have come to an end. What you have in your hand can easily come to an end. All you have to do is consume it. All you have to do is eat your seed, and many Christians do that. There's never any portion for God. They don't give God their first. They don't give God their best. They eat their seed. They consume it upon their own lust, the Bible says. All you have to do if you want that stuff to come to an end is just consume it. Eat your seed. But this boy refused to do that. He sowed what was his, and he still was able to consume until he was satisfied and ended up with 12 baskets full. Now, I personally believe those baskets went to the boy. You say, why, did they, why do you think they went to the boy? He's the one who sowed the seed. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The baskets weren't Jesus' baskets. They weren't the disciples' baskets of fish and bread. It wasn't their seed. The harvest was the boy's harvest. If we're going by scriptural principle of whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. The boy sowed it, and he reaped it. Hallelujah. Whatsoever man sows. No, notice that. He gave, he still eat. Why, why did he still eat? Because the Bible says God not only gives seed to the sower, he gives bread to the eater. So God's not going to cause you to sow and then lose out and have nothing to eat. He takes care of you even until the harvest comes. That's what happened for the boy. You can't skip. Now that I know God is my source, it provokes me into the system of seed time and harvest. Because that's how I activate God as my source. Hallelujah. I want you to put it in the comments. This will help you forever. Seed time and harvest activates God as my source. Seed time and harvest activates God as my source. Pop it in. Seed time and harvest activates God as my source. Lord, touch Dan in Uganda. Whatever danger he's in, protect him supernaturally. Keep him from harm and danger and every wicked thing that would seek to kill him. Seed time and harvest activates God as my source. No question. God's not provoked by your thoughts. He's not provoked by your needs. He's provoked by your faith. That's why seed faith is so dynamic. Because it's not about just what I think. No, it's not just about what I need. God does not move by needs. He's moved by faith, actions of faith. 
They provoke God to action. Actions of faith provoke God to action. Seed time and harvest activates God as my source. There's no question about it. That's how it functions in the kingdom. And then number three, Dr. Roberts taught this. Number three, the third level of seed faith is that you must, you must expect a miracle. You must. You must. There's no, you can't be the one who doubts in your heart. You can't be the one who's double-minded about how God's character and nature functions. You cannot. You must expect a miracle. Put it in the comments. Number three, expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. There was a song Brother Roberts used to sing in his crusade. Something good is going to happen to you, happen to you. This very hour, something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. Something good. What does that do? It creates an expectation. It creates an expectation among the people. Something good's about to happen for me right now. It's a confession of faith. It's an expectation of faith. Something good is about to happen for me right now. Right now. Something good is going to happen to you, happen to you this very hour. Something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. That's it. That's it. Expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. Luke chapter 5, Jesus steps into Peter's boat before Peter's a disciple. Peter's still running his fishing business. He's still running his fishing business, had just fished all night and caught nothing and was now washing his nets and ready to go home and go to sleep. Jesus stepped into the boat knowing that the boat was empty. He knew there were no fish. You can see it. There's no fish. And then Peter tells him, Lord, I fished all night, caught nothing. But watch this now. Jesus inspired Peter's faith to try again. Try again. Because something's different now. Now, the master's in your boat. You did it in your own strength. You did it in your own power, ability, and might, and nothing came of it. But now, the master's in your boat. Expect a miracle. Try again. Try again. Hallelujah. Try again. Thank you, Jesus. Then, after Jesus preached from Peter's boat, he told him, now push out into the deep. So there was a depth, a certain depth that Jesus wanted Peter to go to. There's a certain depth he wanted him at. There was an instruction. Notice this. Jesus gave Peter an instruction. Go push out now into the deep. He was prepping him. He moved him to a place where he could receive. Notice he's activating his, his faith little by little to expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. Then what did he say? Look at this. Uh, verse 4, Luke 5, 4. He said, don't just put out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Notice this. He didn't say, let down your nets and let's see what happens. 
let down your nets and we'll try again. We'll just see if it, no. He said, let down your nets for a specific purpose, for a catch. Jesus said, there's a catch coming. So let down your nets. Notice that. Put an expectation of a miracle in Peter's mind. Let down your nets for a catch. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want you to put it in quotation marks, but put it in the comments. I have a catch coming to me. I have a catch coming to me. Glory to God. I've got a catch coming to me. He said, let down your nets, not arbitrarily, not randomly, expecting a catch. And then look at Peter's words. Well, Lord, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, there's the key. I will let down the nets. I will let down the nets. I've heard people try to preach this from, you know, the King James Version. You know, Jesus told Peter to let down the nets, but he only let down a net. And because he only, his faith was too small. It's a misreading of the Greek. Read any new translation of the Bible, the ESV. He said, let down your nets, and Peter let down the nets. He did exactly what Jesus said. If Peter had disobeyed Jesus, he would have not gotten a miracle. Disobedience doesn't bring a miracle. And, and notice this, if Peter had disobeyed Jesus, I'm sure you've heard that preached. Jesus said, let down the nets, and Peter only let down a net. No, no. If Peter had disobeyed Jesus, look at the catch that came back. You say, well, he could have gotten more. He couldn't, have, he couldn't take in what he had. When the catch came back, look at it. He said, that's your word. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Their nets, plural. Their nets, plural, were breaking. Peter didn't disobey. His faith wasn't too small. He did exactly what Jesus said to do. Exactly. The nets, they let them down. And the Bible said they enclosed such a large number of fish that the multiple nets they did let down were breaking because of the catch. Breaking because of the catch. So they signaled their partners who were over in another boat. Look at this. To come and help them. And they came. And they filled both the boats. Not just Peter's boat. They filled both of the boats. So that they both began to sink. If Peter had been disobedient to Jesus. Don't tell me that there was still going to be a harvest that was so big. That it sank Peter's boat and sank their friend's boat that was breaking their nets. Peter didn't disobey in the least. He did exactly what Jesus said to do. He pushed out into the deep. He let down multiple nets. He enclosed the large number of fish that Jesus said was coming and it was too much for him. That's what I'm prophesying to people that are faithful today. Your faithfulness, your seed time, your knowing that God is your source is gonna produce too much for you. Too much for you. Too much for you. All he had to do was obey a word from God. And look, notice how Jesus was speaking to him. Now, go out into the deep. We're going again. Put down your nets. You know, you'd think, you know, maybe what if Jesus would set a net? You know, well, you didn't catch anything. I'm going to try to get you a few before the day is over. So just throw a net down. No, Jesus had a bigger expectation than that. Jesus put a bigger expectation into Peter's spirit. Don't come out here with an expectation that just because you caught nothing all night, you're not going to catch anything now. Let down multiple nets for a catch. 
and Peter let down multiple nets for a catch. And the multiple nets were filled to the point of breaking. And when they hauled them in, they started to sink his boat. They called their friends, started to sink their boat. That's overflow. That's overflow. Jesus taught Peter to expect a miracle. Now, I'm going to say this and I want you to get it. I never expect to obey God's word without receiving a blessing afterwards. Put that in the comments. Let that be the motto of your life. I never expect to obey God's word without receiving a blessing for my obedience. Please, please put that in. I never expect to obey God's word without receiving a blessing. I don't expect to pray. I don't expect to fast. I don't expect to read the word. I don't expect to go to church. I don't expect to sow my financial seeds and pay my tithe. I don't expect to do all those things and not get a harvest. I don't expect to live holy and free from sin and not be blessed for my faithfulness. I never expect to obey God's word without receiving a blessing for it, ever. Because if I did, it would make God a liar. If you could live for God and not be blessed for doing what his word says. Now here's the problem. People think they live for God. They think they obey his word and they only do it partially. And if they only do it partially, they wonder why they're not blessed. It's because you're not fully obeying God's word. You can't fully obey God's word and still be blessed. And still not be blessed. Listen, listen to Psalm 84. Listen to this. Psalm 84, verse 11. I mean, the Bible clearly says that very thing. That's why I believe it. I'm not just making these things up as I go. <laughs> the Bible, I've read the Bible, and the Bible says it, and that's why I believe it. Psalm 84 and verse number 11. Get this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's Psalm 84.11. Many people have read Psalm 84.10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why? Because of the next verse. For the Lord God's a sun and shield, and he bestows favor and honor, and he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. I never expect to obey God's word without receiving a blessing for doing so. Because that's what God promised. That's what God promised. He doesn't withhold any good thing. Not any. Not any. From those who walk uprightly. Now there's people that think they walk uprightly and they leave out entire portions of the covenant that they don't do. And then they wonder, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not blessed. It's not about just praying the prayer of salvation. And then you think everything's going to fall on you, as Brother Hagin used to say, like ripe cherries out of a tree. It doesn't work like that. You have to do your side of the covenant. That's walking uprightly. Job 36.11. Let me read that to you. Job 36.11. If they listen and serve him, that is God. If they listen and serve him, 
they will complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. Psalm 1. I'm just taking you these places why I believe the way I just told you. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Why does he, why does he prosper? Why does he never wither? Because he delights himself in the law of the Lord, meditating upon it day and night. Psalm 112. I'm showing you why I believe this way. I never expect to obey God's word and not be blessed for doing so. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. That's your children. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. The wicked man, verse 10, sees it and is angry, and gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Isaiah 119, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Matthew 6:33. seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I never expect to obey God's word without being blessed for doing so, ever. And neither should you. It's foolish to think that you're going to plant seeds of faithfulness and not receive a harvest of blessing. You will be abundantly blessed in Jesus' name. You will be abundantly blessed in Jesus' name. Beverly already has nets. You have them already. Use the nets you have. Peter didn't ask Jesus to lend him some nets. He had nets. Jesus used what Peter already had. You can continue to put your mind and your focus on your shortcomings and what's gone wrong in the attacks of the devil, or you can stand in faith and do what the Bible says and be abundantly blessed. You can't act like you're the first person that ever had an attack come against their life and wallow in pity for decades and not be blessed. Do what the Bible says. You will always be blessed for doing what the Bible says. You'll always be blessed. And in your case, I've already told you what to do and you've not done it. And there's a reason people stay in the place they're in. They don't listen to wise counsel. They don't obey the word and they stay in that place. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. It's how it works. You obey the covenant. You do what the Bible says. You go past what the devil tries to do to you and you keep your mouth focused in faith. You say what the Bible says. You stop blaming the shortcomings. You stop blaming the things that come against your life. And you speak faith, you act faith, you walk faith, and you take the promises of God by faith. You will be what you imagine yourself to be. So if you want to continue, and this is everybody, if you want to continue putting your focus on shortcomings and attacks and all of those things, then that's how you'll live. Your nets are not broken. No Christian's nets are broken. There's not one Christian's net that's broken. 
Every Christian has the nets to receive the blessings that God has given them and has provided and set aside. Don't believe that wicked lie that you don't have what it takes to receive God's blessing. Don't believe that wicked lie. That's a, that's a demonic persuasion. Don't believe that lie of the devil. Stop talking about what's insufficient or what you think is insufficient. That's what, that's what Peter did until Jesus had to continue to push this faith into his spirit. Oh, but, but we toiled all night and caught nothing, Lord. I've tried. I've tried to do this. I tried. Jesus said, do it. Do it by faith. Answer the call. Answer the instruction and receive the blessing. Receive the blessing. That's how it works. That's how God's kingdom functions. That's how God's kingdom functions. That's how it works. And people, if, if, here's how it works. If people want to stay in the situation they're in, they will. But you've got to get angry enough to say, I'm not remaining in this place of not enough. I'm not remaining in this place of just enough. God has better for me. God has more for me. I'm a child of the king. I have an inheritance that God has dealt out to me through his word. The, right, the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. I'm not remaining where I am. I'm going to move forward and take the blessings of God. I'm going to do what God says in his word. It's either that or you think God's word is a lie so you don't do what it says. And God's word is not a lie. God's word is true and it produces for every person, for every person that works it. God's word works if you'll work it. Please put that in as the final thing before I pray for you. God's word works if you'll work it. God's word works if you'll work it. Continual sowing of seed causes continual harvest. There's no farmer that only planted for one season and then expected the rest of their life, their fields to produce fruit. Doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Continual sowing of seed produces continual harvest. In Jesus' name. Again, this book, Miracles of Seed Faith by Dr. Oral Roberts. There it is. We're going to put these books in your hand. Those of you that are standing with us, we're getting ready to do the biggest things we've ever done. I give people an opportunity to sow because that's what the word commands us to do. Give God's people an opportunity to be blessed. Give God's people something that you're doing to sow into. The kingdom is our soil. The kingdom is our soil. And there's people, your faith is moving you into a place of great overflow. And so... We're getting ready to build God a house in West Palm Beach that will never bow its knee to the spirit of this world, will never, ever move back and away from the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. We're not ashamed that we're full of the Holy Spirit, that we speak in tongues, we believe in miracles, signs, wonders, the power of the word. We will never stop preaching the full gospel. And God's raising up an army of believers who are declaring America shall be saved. Not only that, we have the Victory Tribe, an extended family all over the world God's doing something mighty. And I want to encourage you to be a part of it. We're getting ready to believe God for a swift, a swift transaction of building his house. Amen. We have prophetic words that have been spoken over us. We're going to see them come to pass in Jesus' mighty name. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.